On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. Funding for the E-Series is provided by the Dr. John A. Lusk Fund for Hospice and Palliative Care Education. My name is Ryan Viagini, and I am your host. Today we conclude our discussion, The Intersection of Faith and Health in the Church, between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and Reverend Linda Ferguson, Senior Pastor at First and St. Luke United Methodist Churches in Ashboro. When we last left them, Linda was addressing the significance of life review and the roles vulnerability, confession, and forgiveness play in finding peace and wholeness at end of life. Their conversation continues today with discussion revolving around the ministry of presence and the power found in leaning into one's faith community and spiritual leader to find support and hope. Let's rejoin the conversation. As a guy who grew up here in the Piedmont Triad, as a guy who grew up in rural North Carolina, more importantly, um, I sort of also had a unique perspective to, as I look back now, to see how um, how an individual's church family. So you've got your real family, your born family, and then you've got your this other your, your made family, which is you know either friends or people you go to church with or any number of different um, groupings of of that sort. Um, you know we find that people find individuals find great comfort in their church family. Absolutely. And so how does that um, sort of relate to sort of this notion of vulnerability that we talk about and how does a church family sort of rise to, to help and support this individual? Cause you, as the congregational leader, you are, but one person, you cannot do it all. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot of different ways for that to happen. Uh, I call it the, often the ministry of presence, oh. just being present being present with another person. It doesn't mean that you have an answer. It does not mean that you have to, sometimes people will say, well, you know, I can't do this or that because, you know, I'm not trained. Well, it's not about that. It's about being present. It's about being there and sitting with the person and uh, without intruding, uh, you know, respecting boundaries, but at the same time, just being there to listen, to do a, a load of dishes, to, you know, or whatever it is, and being able to do that in a way that's respectful to one another. Sure. And I think in understanding how powerful that can be and how that just the service to another person yes. can be as impactful as in my, I'll, I'll use my grandmother as a prime example, as opposed to making three casseroles and mm-hmm. take to the house. That's important too, sure it but, is. Yeah. but, but, there's a finite amount of freezer space, right? Um, and so, so it's about these other things that allow us to be present um, for others that have just immeasurable impact on their lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, you know, making the casseroles is very important. It is. It is absolutely. And, and that's one way that a lot of people can uh, share, but then yes, uh, at the time of death, yeah, you can only eat so much and lots of people don't feel like eating. So you share it with your neighbors. But um, the problem I think in our society is that in our culture is that we, uh, as soon as the funeral is done, it's the next day that people are like, where is everyone? 
Mm. And so trying to make sure that we follow up and that the grief process is not, you know, eliminated or ignored uh, throughout the year. We do a, um, what a lot of churches do called grief share. We have grief share here that people can uh, be part of in order to help them through their grief. Cause grief, it looks different for every person. Some I'm people sure. it truly is a, you know, um, can be, uh, go through a pretty quick process and then others, it's a lifelong struggle. And especially if you've lost a child and mm -hmm. we've seen a lot of that, unfortunately here at first recent and first St. Luke recently. And so everybody's different. It's does it, there's no, you know, even though we go by, you know, a lot of the Cuba Ross, <laughs> we still use that everybody does, but yeah. everybody's grief process looks different and sure. being able to say it's okay uh, for you to react this way and it's it, there's no right way to do it uh, the only thing the main key though in that is being able to be open to god and god's presence and god's power you know i i think i think we could say we don't live by a formula we don't grieve by a formula we don't exist by formula yeah, right because right. exactly. um, because I'm as different as from you as you are from me, and we will experience life differently. Yeah. Um, so I, I think those are powerful considerations. You know, one of the things that strikes me that I know also to be true is that congregational leaders like yourself are or were, were or are, maybe they still are, I think so, um, the, the influencers before there was a such thing as a social media influencer, before there was Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, um, you know, congregational leaders, and I can I can say this for sure from my from my grandparents um, from my grandparents' perspective, they were, you know, congregational leaders were the people that had the tremendous amount of impact in their life. Right. So, can you talk a little bit about that and what that means? Absolutely. So, you know. Um, our role as pastors is still to be an influencer. You know, it's to be a, a someone that's there for people to, but we're also uh, to have a prophetic voice and to be a voice for those that do not have a voice. And there is, uh, I'm so grateful for the sacred work because it truly is. And yes, you know, social media has taken away some of that influence, to be honest, because it used to be that you only look to the church or to newspapers and other, and you know, uh, government leaders. And now, you know, uh, social media has changed a lot of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we are to be a voice for those that are hurting and to be able to stand up for those that are being excluded and to be a voice for justice for all people. And that's, there is a lot of weight in that. Yeah. Um, and it's important. It's so important that we take that seriously. You know, one of the things that I think about as we sort of pivot from that um, is thinking about how folks, uh, congregants in particular, or really anybody who is connected with a, with a church family or a faith family, um, they look to their congregational leader for hope. Mm, um, and, you know, that's a hope is a hope is a it's a beautiful word. It's it's an enormous word right. um, and it carries a lot of significance. You know, can you talk a little bit about 
you know, what does hope look for from your perspective as you're working with congregants? What does that look, what are they looking for from you and what are you giving them back? Right. Yeah, absolutely. So as Christians, of course, our hope lies in, in the power and the love of Jesus Christ to change the world. And Jesus works through us to do that change. And, you know, our hope for the future is uh, built on what Jesus has given to us and what, how the power that the resurrection that lives in each of us to be able to live that out. And so we are a powerful force in the world. Uh, for change and love can overcome uh, all things. You know, I often have conversations with young people that sometimes feel a little um, overwhelmed with the state of the world today. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that it's so important that we be a voice for that hope because there is hope that they, uh, I'm a little older. I'll be 61 next uh, in a couple of weeks. And uh, I remember in the 70s, it felt like we didn't have a lot of hope uh, in the Vietnam War and all that as a child, you know, and there was hope and we changed. And, you know, with the racial, uh, the racial issues back when I was a child, we've come a long way. And I still feel that, you know, we can still do so much good in the world if we will just continue to go to work every day to do so. Yeah, you know, it's it seems as though it's about helping people understand what their next right thing is to do. Right. It is. Um, that's hope, right? Mm-hmm. Hope is having perhaps the vulnerability and courage, maybe an equal measure mm-hmm. to, 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 to know the next right thing for, for me to do. Right. Um, for the person to be able to do. Absolutely. They, you know, uh, um, our young people also give me a lot of hope. They, they are so focused on equity and equality for others. And uh, I just feel like they're going to make a change that, you know, uh, in a way that's just so great uh, for everyone in the world. Uh, they truly, you know, we took a lot of our young people on mission trips when they were little and, <laughs> or when they were in middle school, high school, and now they're grown up adults and they took those experiences and they are taking those things to, in order to make a change in the world. And they really care about the vulnerable, those that are hurting. Right. And our older people do too. Uh, everybody, you know, as uh, one of our focus here, we try to help help anyone in our community that's hurting. And uh, it's, it's really a congregational wide uh, thing. Right. And, you know, hurt is an interesting notion too, because there's hurt we see mm-hmm. and hurt that we don't see, but that we most decidedly feel. Right. right? And, and everyone has hurt. Everyone has some kind of hurt and pain that they're carrying. And sometimes uh, we show that and sometimes we do not. Right. You know, there's the, uh, I don't think it's overused uh, saying, but the saying that, you know, be kind to everyone because you don't know what uh, pain people are experiencing. No, and, I, I think that's true. You know? Yeah. You know, um, Linda, you said earlier, you don't give medical advice, but you give theological advice. Right. right. Um, and, and so many times that is a tremendous struggle, I think, for people. Um because they're looking at their spiritual belief, regardless of their religion, they're looking at their spiritual belief and they're looking to their faith leader and they're trying to balance that against this scientific sort of rationale that their doctors maybe are giving them. Mm -hmm. And, and what a, 
I, I appreciate how you said it, that you, you, you don't give medical advice, but you give, you give theological interpretation, I think were the words that you used. I think that's a brilliant way to put it. But that, is that a really fine line? And that's a pointed question, I realize. But is that a really fine line? It, it, it is often, and uh, often people will, I'll be in the room when the doctor's giving some news or coming back in with test results, and the family will look at me to interpret that for them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, no, I can't uh, really tell you, um, but I can help them once they get that news to understand where is God in it, and that God is very real, and that the power and the love of Christ is going to see them through that. Yeah. You know, there was an interesting study, and I think you might be familiar with it, back in 2016 um, from Harvard Medical School about uh, uh, the con- absent a, a clergyman or agri- absent a congregational leader's discussion with their, uh, with their congregants. Um, congregants are more likely to receive care that's inconsistent with their needs, wants, and priorities particularly at end of life. And so we know that they are looking for, you know, some tremendous guidance from faith leaders, whether it's rightly placed or not, um, and, and realizing that you have, you know, the, the knowledge that you have, and you're not a physician, and you're not a doctor, and you can't interpret the medical advice, you know, so I can appreciate how difficult it is. Um, but I think this goes back to, you know, the influence, I think that people look to their congregant, uh, congregational leaders um, as having um, on them. And so when you think about how you help prepare congregants in your own congregation, um, realizing that the best time to make a medical decision is not when you're in the throes of a healthcare crisis. Absolutely. How, how do you do that at First United Methodist in, in Asheboro and, and First Luke's? Yeah, so we try to, um, you know, make education is key. So being able to educate people about the importance of making their desires, their end of life uh, desires known uh, as from uh, funeral planning to, you know, advanced uh, directives to, you know, what, what do they want? And what, because at some point, you know, in the process, if you can't speak for yourself, you know, your family's going to have to make those decisions. And I've seen uh, the great gift that families give, to, that people give to their families by making sure that is known. Uh, it is such an important gift to be able to do so. And so that, you know, uh, if you have uh, several family members that are in disagreement, the last thing you want them to do is being in an argument uh, when they should be spending sacred time sure. with their loved one. And oftentimes, you know, in disagreement or argument, as you say, um, in over a very emotional decision. Yes, yes. That that if you stopped and thought about it for just a moment and, and just asked the question, well, what would mom or dad or brother or sister really want? Everyone would have a reasonable consensus. Right. You know? Right. And it is not the time to make those such important decisions when you're in the middle of a, of a crisis. That's right. Emotions are high when your heart is broken. That is not the time to be trying to decide some very important things. Yeah. And so having those conversations early, I agree with you. Uh, I couldn't agree more that making those, having those conversations early, having them often, Right. Um, and making your wishes known is the best gift you can ever give to your family. Yes. Um, and, and have it in writing as well. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. <laughs> Put it down in writing. And, 
you know, that goes from, you know, estate planning as well, all those things that come at the end of life, making sure that our families and, our, and those close to us are taken care of and those decisions are made so that they do not have to make them in the, in the you know, the heat of emotional. Right. Um, why, leave our, why leave our thoughts to the chance of others when we have the ability to communicate them directly? Right. And you want, um, you want your wishes to be known. That's you know, right. And, Absolutely. You know, and um, we hope that people have a long life, but we've here at first, we have unfortunately uh, experienced the death of uh, several young people over just mm-hmm. the last couple of years. And so it's important for everyone to do this. Sure. And, you know, I, I'm 40, I'll be 47 this year. Young, uh, uh, younger um, becomes a different age band um, the older I get. So because um, <laughs> I, I refuse to say that I'm really getting older, um, even though I know that's to be true. Um, you know, so as we sort of pivot away from that, Linda, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about um, the role of the faith community in, in developing health and wellness. So again, I think education is key and mm-hmm. helping people know that, um, whatever struggle or whatever uh, health issue that they're dealing with, be it physical or uh, mental or emotional or spiritual, whatever that is, that being able again to be able to share that. You know, I think in our society, we still struggle with the stigma of uh, emotional issues, mm-hmm. whereas, you know, Physical, we can stand people up and say, oh, they have cancer, let's pray for them. But then if you have someone that's dealing with a very difficult uh, mental disorder, it's, 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 there's still a stigma about it. And we need that to go away. You know, uh, we need that to also that we can become more equitable in our care for those that are struggling emotionally. Uh, a good friend of mine last week, I, and I saw her and she had a t-shirt on that said mental health matters. And absolutely, just as our physical health, our social health, our spiritual health, all those things matter uh, very, very much. And but being able to bring some education to it, talk, talking about it, helping people to understand that we are created as these whole beings that God has created us to be and being able to you know, address all those issues and not hiding a part of us on, you know, just doesn't make any sense to, to have to hide it. Yeah. You know, the deleterious effects of, of a disease that we can see the effects of are no less debilitating if, if not, um, if not burdensome than those that we cannot see. Right. That don't manifest in a, in a physical way. Um, and so I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, I think this past 15 months maybe has sort of shown us that having presence, that taking the time to find a way forward, that taking the time to appreciate those people who are around us. You know, one of the things that, that I realize um, that, that is so unique um, in my lifetime is that last year, everybody almost within a, at the same time felt fear mm-hmm. for the first time. Right. Right. Yes. It's uh, really interesting. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and the pandemic was, uh, it affected everybody everywhere. And, you know, uh, coming out of the pandemic has been almost uh, maybe even more so difficult than going into it. Yeah. Because, you know, uh, and hopefully we will not leave those lessons of the pandemic behind that I've heard so many people now that we're back in person for worship say, I will never miss church again. I will never, you know, miss the opportunity to bring my child to children or youth ministry or, you know, not taking church and not taking relationships uh, or community for granted Mm -hmm. and reevaluating as we should be doing all the time. And, you know, often preach on it. You know, what are your priorities? You know, where, you know, uh, the pandemic brought that home, brought it home to teach us and show us what really are our uh, priorities in line. Yeah, I think it laid out for us as as we've sort of had a this sort of meandering conversation today, you know, it sort of um, lets me know that what we've all experienced in this last 15 years, 15 months, excuse me, um, is really sort of a the personification of this concept of wholeness. Absolutely. Um, we, we don't exist as a vacuum. We don't exist in isolation. I think we all realize that that was really not a great place to be. Um, And so it requires us to sort of understand and create a mutual understanding of one another and where they are and how they suffer and how we can understand and relate to their vulnerability. Yeah, and it's it's so important that we do understand it's our shared responsibility to care yes. for one another. Yes, that it's not you know uh, one person or a group of people, but we are all together in this life, and uh, that we have a shared responsibility of taking care of us and the world. Right. So, Linda, we've talked about a lot of things today, and I, I, this has been a fascinating conversation. Um, it really has. <laughs> Um, you know, I think we could probably go on and talk for a long, long time about a lot of different topics. Um, yeah, but, but is there something that you would like our listeners to really know as it, you know, as it relates to this topic that we've talked directly on and then around sometimes, um, about faith and health? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The, um, I think one of the most important things for people to understand is that you are never alone, that God is always with you and, and the people around you care about you and that you are not alone that, you know, and with the great help of hospice and, you know, local church communities with God at the end of life, that you are not by yourself and that and not only at end of life, but all through life, that we are created to be in community with each other and that you know uh, these everybody uh, has brokenness in their life and that you're not broken or weak to to ask for help Uh, that because you know you ask for help and you receive help and then you'll be the one giving that uh, down the road and so just knowing that we are together in this and that God loves you so very much and wants you to have an abundant life. Well, I appreciate that, Linda. You know, I think um, that I can certainly say on behalf of our organization, how grateful we are that you are here. And, and, and for my own personal commentary, I think 
Um, getting to know you has been so wonderful. Um, and I feel like our community is a kinder, more accepting place for the work that you are doing at uh, First United Methodist in Asheboro and uh, St. Luke's in Asheboro. So I thank you so very much for what you and your other congregational leaders are doing and for the work that your congregation is doing across our entire community. So thank you so very much for spending this time with me today. Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, The Intersection of Faith and Health in the Church. Join us next time as we welcome special guest, Reverend Lamonte Williams, community liaison and outreach specialist with the Wake Forest School of Medicine's Maya Angelou Center for Health Equity and the Alzheimer's Disease Research Center for the intersection of faith and health in the community. Together, Trent and Lamonte will discuss how community engagement, understanding, and collaborations can lead to key partnerships that connect local faith leaders and congregations to timely health resources and initiatives. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series. <laughs>